Ethan and Benjamin Castle are Americans. Watching the footy. Liam Ryan saying, kick it my way. I want to jump over the pack and here he comes. afternoon, evening, whatever it is for you. I'm Ethan Castle. I'm Benjamin Castle. This is episode 16 of Americans Watching the Funny. Wow. This is our round six preview. I'm coming to you from my bedroom once again in South San Francisco. I'm coming to you from the depths of the music building Morrison Hall at UC Berkeley because... I have 24-hour access to this place as a music major, and I make very good use of the practice rooms. We're going to do something a little bit new this episode. I've noticed in past episodes that I use the phrase, I'm curious to see way too often. Or I'm interested to see. So to deter me from that this time, every time I use those terms, I'm going to get hit in the groin with a bag of nickels. Phone call for a bag of nickels. Ah! As this is the Anzac round, the AFL has placed games All across Australia this weekend, five states, along with the ACT, will be hosting games. New South Wales is missing out on the fun this time, as is the Northern Territory, but NT will get their games rounds 11 and 12. But before we tell you about all the games, where they are, we both took interest in an article on the AFL website about the recent endeavors of Alistair Clarkson on the Tasmanian expansion team. He's been visiting the United States. He spent some time checking out the Golden State Warriors and the Green Bay Packers. Packers make a lot of sense as it's a team in a smaller city. I mean, the actual town of Green Bay is not much over 100,000 people. The broader takeaway I had from this, I just think it's so neat that AFL clubs and the league in general take so much interest in trying to style themselves after American sports from a financial perspective without losing the integrity of what makes it a uniquely Australian game. And it's just cool to see how these clubs and the whole league is so well connected with what's going on in the U.S., even though very, very few Americans could even recognize an Australian football game if they saw it. And that's a shame, and that's further hindered by the fact that there is no TV deal right now in the United States. We were only able to be exposed to the AFL because in 2020, there were games on Fox Sports 1 and 2 with the occasional game on ESPN. We had that again in 2021 after the first couple rounds. We don't have that right now. Hopefully that'll change. Would love to see more than a one-year deal at some point. I don't understand why it hasn't happened, especially with the Fox networks, with Rupert Murdoch having such a media presence here and being as much of a footy fan as he is. But I do know that some past AFL coaches have also taken interest in the American game. I know that one particularly important figure is Paul Roos, who led the Swans to their premiership in 2005 and also was the coach before Simon Goodwin at Melbourne and helped them toward the path to success. I know he had actually coached the American national side for a little bit, and I believe he met his wife in America as well. He was also responsible, I believe, for an exhibition game one year in the 2000s at UCLA. And I would love to see exhibitions in America return in some capacity. I would probably travel one or two states if I had to to see it, even if there were just a few AFL-level players involved. Absolutely. It would definitely be worth it, and I'd love to see the game get shown off once again to American audiences. That said, we can dwell on that another time. Right now, we've got round six to preview. And fittingly, the Anzac round starts in the capital, or just outside it, at Monica Oval. The Friday night game, no Thursday nighters again for a while, with Greater Western Sydney hosting St. Kilda. That'll be 
at 2.50 a.m. Pacific time on Friday, the 22nd of April. That's 5.50 a.m. Eastern, 7.50 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Raider Western Sydney are 1-4, and four, but they're getting a couple key pieces back from suspension, those being Toby Green and Braden Proofs. This is not a GWS team to be taken lightly. The question is just how much of an impact can Green make? We know Proust is a massive upgrade from what they've had in the Rock with Matt Flynn and others. The question with GWS remains, can they do anything defensively? Now, Isaac Cummings returned from health and safety protocols because, you know, once the NBA started calling it health and safety protocols instead of COVID, everyone had to. Talk about the AFL styling itself after American sports again. But it's going to be on the rest of the GWS defense to play better. There have been a lot of people who have been disappointed in Lockie Whitfield's performance so far this year. I know you've talked a lot about Connor Iden and seemed like you've generally been impressed with him. But I think even without Phil Davis, the GWS defense just has to be better than they've been. And it's not just going to be about tagging Max King. It's going to be about dealing with that entire St. Kilda team, especially with how good the Saints have looked really top to bottom lately. And I do expect the Giants to tag in some way, considering how much not doing that backfired this past round when Christian Petraka played his best game of the season. Saints lost their opening round tilt, but have rattled off four straight wins since. They are a team that we vastly underestimated, and they're getting closer and closer to full health as well, with Jimmy Webster likely returning out of protocols himself. These teams met in the opening round last year at Giants Stadium, where St. Kilda got home by eight points. I was super impressed last round with the St. Kilda midfield, as I said in our round five recap. It's obviously a different challenge dealing with a Giants midfield that has Tim Taranto, Stephen Canelio, Harry Himmelberg. But I'm looking to see another good game out of Brad Crouch, another good game out of Sebastian Ross, another good game out of Mason Wood. And though he's more of a halfback, the one who really impressed me in very minimal touches last week was Daniel McKenzie. I thought his ability to cover ground and take good angles to cut guys off. It was not quite a tagging role, but he was able to cover enough ground that he could sort of leave a guy, but then return and tag when needed. Jackson Clare also impressed as he he slotted more to the midfield than past years. And we'll see how Brad Hill gets used again. A couple rounds ago, he had maybe the best game of his career. And with the weaknesses in the Giants defense, I wouldn't be shocked to see him back toward half forward. I would think this should, on paper, shape up as a really high scoring game. If there's still a weakness with St. Kilda, it would be in their defense. Dougal Howard had a couple of really bad clangers last week. I think he's a quality player that just had a bit of an off game. And like I've said so many times, the GWS defense is such an issue. But the question obviously becomes, what sort of impact does Toby Green make? And how much does Brayton Cruz change things? There's a lot of uncertainty about both teams in general, even before we talk about the ins and outs in terms of whether or not they'll be able to kick straight, whether they'll be able to flow well. And that's why I understand the line being within a goal. We're using go bet to get our lines this week as Bovada is under maintenance at the time of recording. As of early Wednesday morning in America, Wednesday evening in Australia, they've got St. Kilda favored by four and a half. I would have put this line a little bit higher, maybe more like 10, 10 and a half, but there are enough X factors being reintroduced to the Giants lineup that I see why some betters would maybe have some hesitation. Moving on to Saturday afternoon in Australia, Friday night in the United States, Western Bulldogs hosting the Adelaide Crows at Mars Stadium out in Ballarat, out in the Central Highlands. This one's set to get underway on Friday, April 22nd at 8.45 p.m. on the West Coast of the United States, 11.45 on the East Coast. Crows fans watching from Adelaide, and I guess Bulldogs fans watching from Adelaide. We'll get started at 1.15, and then within Victoria, it'll actually get underway at 1.45. Both these teams enter at 2-3. and three. They played just once last year, also at Mars Stadium, though that was with no crowd in round 20. 
a game the Bulldogs won by 49. I think the Bulldogs quieted a lot of concerns last week. But Benjamin, how do you break this one down? I was enthused by the changes I saw with the Bulldogs this past round. Some of it you do have to take with a grain of salt coming against North Melbourne, but it really looked like it worked to have Marcus Bonapelli up at full forward. He kicked three goals. Bailey Smith had a monster game going between the center and half forward. Adam Trelore and Jack McRae were able to play more to their style. And even with Lockie Hunter on leave and Riley Garcia out injured, I think there are many more positives that the Bulldogs carry into this game than negatives. And I haven't even mentioned yet the increased kicking accuracy from both Aaron Naughton and Cody Waitman, who each kicked five. Crow's coming off a really solid performance with the 19-point win over Richmond, one of their more convincing and complete games in the last few years altogether. But they lost Rory Sloan. He had ACL surgery on Wednesday. The rest of the leadership group is going to fill his vacancy as captain within the actual lineup. One of Jackson Hakeley, Mitch Hinge, or Riley Philthorpe is expected to take his spot. If you've listened to us, you know that we both think Philthorpe deserves another shot. Although Ben Summerford predicts Hakeley's going to get that call. Wonder, though, if Lachlan Gallant's slipping performance might also convince Adelaide's list management to give Philthorpe another shot. I think he's more than an adequate in also as ruck support for Riley O'Brien. The biggest thing with this matchup, whether or not Rory Sloan was going to be in there, was can Adelaide do anything to stop the Bulldogs? And I don't think they can. I think that if we're looking at every team's units, forwards, mids, defense, I think Adelaide's defense would rank towards the bottom if you took all 54 units across all 18 teams. And I think the Bulldogs are going to expose that. Even if they don't kick super well, I think not having to deal with Sloan should help them win enough midfield battles to compensate. And I see this as a game that it would be pretty tough for the Bulldogs to lose, but I think this is a game where we really evaluate both teams based on how they play much more than what the actual scoreboard looks like. If the Bulldogs put together a second straight quality game, if they can kick straight again, no reason to be anything but optimistic about them. As for the Crows, if they can withstand Sloan's absence and play a decent game midfield while continuing to do their thing up front, no need to be all doom and gloom, even if they probably weren't a finals team to begin with. They could still be a team that's, you know, working their way up out of the wooden spoon zone and into the sort of tweener area between teams that can kind of sneak into the eight and the teams that are nowhere near it. I'm expecting Jordan Dawson to be more of a central figure in terms of ball control, along with Ben Keys. Both of them eat up a lot of ground. Dawson gained close to three quarters of a kilometer last week, and I'm not sure if he'll be able to do that again against as staunch a midfield, but looking forward to see how he ends up running through. It's such a cool juxtaposition that you're going to see where you have a Crows team that has a few guys that can really run while the Bulldogs go with a lot of short possessions, quick dump-offs. Bailey Smith, while he did gain a bunch of ground last week, usually doesn't gain that much ground. Is usually just dumping the ball off quickly, though he did pick up 646 meters last week. I think of the Bulldogs playing a much more quick disposal type game, and that contrast should be really entertaining. Going back toward the Bulldogs' outs, there's a chance for Mitch Wallace to slot into the 22 rather than being the sub as he's been for the past three rounds in Garcia's absence. Also a chance for Robbie McComb to make his AFL debut in place of Lockie Hunter or Hayden Crozier may get another shot. He hasn't been back at AFL level since his fainting spell. So, so I'm wondering how much the medical situation may factor into his promotion or omission. Two guys that I'm really looking at that are going to have to have big games in order to have the Bulldogs in control are Ed Richards and Caleb Daniel. We've talked a lot about just how ridiculous Adelaide's forward group is, and it'll be fun to watch how those two are deployed. I think Daniel's actually been pretty quiet so far this year, and I'm looking forward to a bigger game from him. And I think Richards is just a quietly solid player who could be much louder this week. I have no idea how Daniel is going to end up fitting in, especially when there are some taller forwards 
in that Adelaide group. I'm particularly thinking of Elliot Himmelberg. Even Josh Rochelle has five inches on Caleb Daniel in terms of height. So we know Daniel's proficient at ground level. Wondering if the height disparity will make it difficult for him to get involved in airborne play. I still like Daniel's speed to match up with Rochelle. So I think if there is a one-on-one battle for him there, Rochelle is the one he would be taking. Bulldogs are favored by 22 and a half per go bet. And I understand that line. There is, of course, potential for regression to the mean in terms of the Bulldogs kicking accuracy. And the Crows did show well last week, but I'm not confident on them delivering anywhere near the same level of performance out of state. It's not just that it's out of state. It's that I don't think they can keep up defensively. Their only hope to win this game is to turn it into an offensive slugfest, which they can do. But I think the Bulldogs defense will provide enough resistance in that sort of matchup, whereas the Crows defense probably wouldn't. The middle of the Saturday games for this Anzac weekend is the Sickos game. Port Adelaide, last on the ladder, the only remaining winless team. I'm laughing as I say that because it's so hard for me to believe, considering how we're so used to them from our first couple seasons watching being near the top of the ladder. They're hosting the West Coast Eagles, who, amidst all their injury struggles, are third to last. Credit to them, though, they're not using that as an excuse, and they fought hard despite being down as much as they were last round against the Sydney Swans. But this is the ideal chance for Port Adelaide to finally get on the board. They're at home against an inferior side with a bunch of key outs still. And even with Charlie Dixon being out for Port, I really can't see Port fucking this up, though. I've been much more wrong in the past. This is a mid-afternoon kick in Adelaide at 4.05 p.m. For fans in Western Australia, it'll start at 2.35 p.m. on Saturday, the 23rd. For American viewers, it'll be at 11.35 p.m. Pacific on Friday night, the 22nd, 2.35 a.m. Eastern, early Saturday morning. It's hard to believe how different how differently we're talking about this matchup than when they played last year in round three. The Eagles hosted that one and beat Port by 37. This was early on when there wasn't a warning sign in sight about either side compared to what happened later in the season for the Eagles or what's happened since for the power. Ollie Wines has not been confirmed yet, but... Judging by what we're hearing from Ken Hinckley, he's likely good to go after missing a couple of weeks. Lockie Jones was in protocols for the power. Maybe they bring him back in. For the Eagles, Jeremy McGovern should be out of protocols, as should Jack Petricelli, who's missed the last two rounds. They've got a couple other questions as well. Maybe they bring Sam Petrevsky-Seaton back in. Could be at Jermaine Jones's expense. Unfortunately, 23-year-old forward Oscar Allen suffered another setback and is in a boot again, and Andrew Gath is likely out. But as for who is out there, I'm really looking at Alir Alir, who clearly was nowhere near 100% against Carlton. Power nonetheless decided having him out there in his limited capacity was better than not having him out there at all. He did seem to play a better second half, though he did get beat on a key play with about five minutes to go for a goal that helped keep the power at bay. On the more positive side for Port Adelaide, Mitch Georgiatis has rounded into form without having to lean on Charlie Dixon. And if he could have done that a couple weeks earlier, there's a good chance we're talking about them as a team with one or two wins right now instead of sitting at 0-5. Looking at other positives for Port, looking really longer term here, was good to see Sam Hayes finally get AFL time at the Ruck. He was outclassed, but he's going to build from there. As for West Coast, thinking that Xavier O'Neill will probably come back in as well with both Edwards as injury concerns, Harry and Luke. It was unfortunate for him to lose his spot in the first place, and he had a very good showing in the waffle this past week, as did Jake Waterman, who has bounced back and forth the past couple seasons. Unsure what Adam Simpson will consider when he may put one ahead of the other or who will be the sub ahead of 
getting a full game in the twos. This is one of those games that could honestly warrant a special little bonus episode just to talk about list decisions and roster decisions, because both these teams, considering their form and their injury situations, we could see some real surprises. As of now, the line has Port Adelaide favored by 19 and a half. I probably would put it a few points lower, probably more in the 14 range, but clearly people think that West Coast is just that bad or they're inspired by the second half Port Adelaide played. I just want to see if Port Adelaide can actually string together four solid quarters because every game other than the debacle against Hawthorne, they've at least looked solid for a stretch. That first quarter against Melbourne wasn't great either, but it was kind of a feeling out period where they at least looked good defensively. And they've obviously had solid spurts against Brisbane, against Carlton, and against the Crows. So can they actually do that for the bulk of a game instead of be so hot and cold? Can they actually put things together and all be on the same page? This is Port Adelaide's game to win and their game to lose. I just can't see the Eagles doing enough on their own, even with Jeremy McGovern coming back in to patrol the back line alongside Shannon Hearn. He's a last line of defense to beat them. And my perspective is definitely also colored by how I view West Coast's win over Collingwood, where Collingwood really let that one slip away. Yes, there was a brilliant play at times from the Eagles. Liam Ryan and his limited touches back in that victory had some very well-measured kicks. But the Eagles really didn't win that on their own. And I have a feeling that's going to be their MO. They're going to have to hope that their opponents make enough mistakes to give them the four points. How could this really be like a perfect sickos game? Needs to have like some sort of incomprehensible ending with either really bad officiating or just a complete bonehead play or something like a guy has a chance for an after the siren kick and then runs and doesn't even get to kick it. I don't know. Something really stupid needs to happen. I was thinking that there was going to be a 50 for arms out on a mark after the siren that puts Port in range to win it with any score, and the kick comes up short. I just want comedy out of this. I want this to be the worst possible display of footy imaginable, as bad as that sounds. I want it to also keep me stimulated for the entire game. Don't give me reason to go take a nap or something. I will have Yakety Sacks and the Curb theme at the ready for this one, and I will be extremely pleased with the result, regardless of whether or not the Eagles get the win. And face it, they won't. If I can make some interesting reel out of all of the gaffes, not limited to Andrew. Moving on from what should be the worst game of the round to the one that we think should be the best, we cap off Saturday Night Footy with what should be an absolute cracker between Fremantle and Carlton at Optus Stadium. This one is set to get underway on Saturday, April 23rd. It gets started at 2.40 a.m. if you're on the West Coast of the United States. Get your energy drinks ready because this will be worth watching. 5.40 a.m. if you're on the East Coast. Good time to wake up or if you stayed up late watching the prior games. Again, energy drinks, coffee, whatever. If you're watching in Victoria or anywhere else on the East Coast of Australia, it gets going at 7.40 p.m. And if you're actually going to be at Optus Stadium, the rooftop rockers should be playing right around 5.40 p.m. Australian Western Standard Time. These are two of the five teams that enter Anzac round at 4-1. and one. On percentage, Fremantle are second and Carlton are sixth. Neither of the games they played last year were all that interesting with Carlton sweeping between round three at Marvel Stadium and round 16 at the G in a game that was moved from Optus Stadium. Carlton won in round three by 45 and in round 16 by 16. Interestingly, Fremantle scored 64 points in both of those games, but this matchup to me remains defined by the game that these two played in round 12 in 2020, where Jack Noons shouldn't have gotten the kick after the siren. It should have been Michael Gibbons because he was closest to the ball when the downfield was called and the ball went out of bounds. But Noons got the kick. He made it. And Carlton won that one by by four points. 
Nunes may get pushed into the sub role if Patrick Cripps returns. And there's plenty of potential for that as his overextended hamstring is a lot more promising than initially thought. His status remains up in the year at the time of recording. If it's not Nunes who's the sub, it may be Matthew Cottrell. Though I think Cottrell is just a more interesting player to have out on the oval. However, Oscar McDonald remains unlikely for the Blues. For Fremantle, Lockie Schultz should be back from protocol. Seems like he'd slide in for Bailey Banfield. Banfield would become the injury sub. I liked how Banfield played last week against Essendon, but it's a spot where he's probably still one of the weaker links. Last week, Darcy Tucker was the injury sub and was unused. Maybe they send him over to the Waffle just so he gets some playing time. Obviously, the main story for this game, though, is that it's the Adam Chera revenge tour. It was the biggest move of the offseason. Chera requesting a trade back home to Victoria and Fremantle getting a pick that they eventually turned into Jaya Miss at number eight, as well as a future selection there. But we're not talking about the future. We're talking about now. And Chera had a very active game this past week, perhaps his most active yet helping fill the void that Pat Tripps left, although Sam Walsh got the lion's share of the action. Carlton had all sorts of struggles in the third quarter once again as they barely hung on against Port Adelaide. Meanwhile, Fremantle had a much easier time with Essendon, but it's important to note, and we haven't really talked about this at all, that all four of the teams that Fremantle have beaten are further down the ladder. They are 13th through 16th, in fact, whereas the one team that they've played inside finals position at all, that being St. Kilda, they lost two by 10. So yes, we're both high on Fremantle this season. We really think they have very much top eight potential, if not higher, but they've got to prove themselves against a higher caliber foe. What they have done, other than the Adelaide game, is they've won convincingly. One nice thing for the Dockers is they're Inability to kick straight seems to be behind them. Matt Tavener had seven goals last week. Looking back, one of the games where they really had that inability to kick straight, actually, look back to that 2021 second meeting against the Blues in which they kicked 8-16. Those things seem to be in the rearview mirror. Question now is, how does the Fremantle defense try to match up with guys like Harry Mackay and, if he plays, Patrick Kreps? Jordan Clark has been quieter these past couple rounds. We really liked how he started the season, and this is a great time for him to state his presence again when Carlton have plenty of ability that will be going toward him, wondering if we might see him on someone like Jack Silvani. Speed's been the most essential part of Clark's game, so that seems like a pretty fair possibility. Silvani tends to play out towards the rim of the 50, And Clark is someone who can really spread himself around. Also looking forward to the Ruck matchup between Sean Darcy and Mark Pittenett. Pittenett might be the most impactful player of all for Carlton, considering how lost they looked without him and their loss to the Gold Coast Suns. Meanwhile, Darcy showed that he's much more than just your standard hit-out Ruckman. He definitely has a willingness to go forward and be part of the goal-kicking action and kicked a couple this past Considering Fremantle's penchant for good second halves and Carlton's tendency to play really bad third quarters, we could see four completely different games kind of take place within one here. You could have a first quarter with a feeling out period, a second quarter where Carlton really starts to get into their groove. I'm not sure what that fourth quarter would look like, but it would be some sort of compelling finish. I think this game will be a really good referendum on how self-aware Carlton is, what they can do with their ability to overcome these bad third quarters, how much they can assess internally. I think this game is also going to be a reckoning for both coaches. I mentioned after this last round how I'm not sure if Michael Voss is the reason behind Carlton's success when they've had it, or if it's just more raw ability. Likewise, the Dockers seem to have had a good game plan against lesser teams, but when they played St. Kilda, I remember really questioning some of Justin Longmuir's decisions, including Michael Frederick being played. 
so far forward. And so it's time for both coaches to put up or shut up against competition that is probably on their level. Fremantle is favored by six and a half, and I think, and I think some of that probably comes down to the home field advantage that they get at Optus Stadium. And I would imagine this one gets sold out. This Anzac weekend is always a game that gets good attendance for a variety of reasons. And if this matchup isn't compelling enough, I don't know what is. And I'm also excited going into this that these teams are going to get a second crack at each other. That meeting comes in round 15 at Marvel Stadium. Bovada's maintenance is done, and there is a discrepancy between their line and the GoBat line on this game. They've got Fremantle favored by just two and a half. I think the six and a half is a bit more appropriate when you consider the home field advantage. I'm hoping it's a terrific atmosphere. You know, Carlton supporters will turn out, and this is one of the biggest home games Fremantle's had in a while. Before we move on, this is breaking as we are recording. In addition to Connor Blakely, Fremantle are now without Keith Chapman, Hayden Young, Liam Henry, and Matthew Johnson. They are all in COVID protocols, and they're also losing a couple assistant coaches in Josh Carr and Matthew Boyd. So Chapman and Young being out means that Justin Logbeer's hands been forced, and he's going to have to make two changes there. So a test for that back line to be sure. Have no idea how the line's going to shift in this one. My gut still tells me Fremantle on this one, but my brain is starting to say Carlton, even if they have a down third quarter on the road in Western Australia. That two and a half line suddenly makes a lot more sense, though, versus the six and a half before. Liam Henry really hadn't been playing much at the AFL level. Could be an opportunity for Griffin Logue to slot back in. He was omitted last week. Brandon Walker was technically an interchange at the start of the game last week, though he did end up on the ground for 79% of the game. Could be an even higher percentage this week, considering what now has happened to the Fremantle defense. Maybe they'll move a couple of midfielders into more of a defensive role. Maybe that's how Darcy Tucker gets involved. I think they have the depth to withstand this, but it's obviously not ideal, especially against a team with so much offensive firepower. And if Michael Walters can't get back into good kicking form, then that's another potential struggle for the Dockers. We also will have to wait and see if there's anyone else that joins the group in protocols. Luke Ryan and Michael Frederick were absent from team training, so no idea on where they stand in terms of testing. We'll likely find that out after we record and edit this podcast. So. This may end up being a little out of date by the time this game rolls around on Saturday night. If you've listened to us before, you know where to find us on social media. But if it's your first time, welcome to Americans Watching the Footy. We hope you become a regular patron. You can find me on Twitter at Castle Media, K-A-S-S-E-L-M-E-D-I-A. You can find me on Twitter at Benjamin HK01. Together, we will be sharing our thoughts on all things AFL, including live reaction to the events this round at Americans Footy on Twitter. And you can find my cat, Brian Harambe, on Instagram, cat named Brian. He is currently, well, he was sleeping on my bed. He just woke up and yawned, and it looks like he's about to give himself a bath or something. Why Brian Harambe? Well, just like Harry Potter, I named him after the two bravest people I know. Going into American Saturday night, into Sunday early morning, Australian Sunday, three games at this slate as well, starting with an afternoon affair in Tasmania, the first of two matches on the island this round. It'll be North Melbourne hosting Geelong at Blundstone Arena outside Hobart. For us in the Pacific time zone, it'll get started at 8.10 p.m. In the Eastern time zone, 11.10 p.m. on Saturday the 23rd. And in the Eastern States and Australia, it'll be 1.10 p.m. on Sunday, the 24th. North Melbourne comes in after an embarrassing early round defeat against the Bulldogs for the second straight year, while Geelong are entering this one coming off a disheartening Easter Monday loss to Hawthorne that they really let get away from them, even though Hawthorne did really win that game. Geelong just forgot how to function with the slightest bit of water falling from the sky. From a Geelong perspective, 
because of the loss last week, I feel more confident about taking care of business this week. That said, I don't like facing North Melbourne coming off a lopsided defeat. The way they bounced back from one and put together such a good game against Sydney makes me think that they're going to at least come out and play better. And they do have some reinforcements. Taron Thomas is expected to be back. Cam Zerhar should be out of concussion protocols. They will be without Aaron Hall and Jack Mahoney. And then Jed Anderson suffered a setback in the VFL. Geelong's got a whole lengthy list of injuries still. On the good side of things, Jed Buse should be good to go. Patrick Dangerfield sounds like he's going to be fine, but nothing official there yet. Still have yet to hear what's going to be up with Cam Guthrie. He got bumped pretty hard during that Hawthorne game. Sam Manigola is likely close, but not in just yet. Esava Radagalea should be ready to go. Jack Henry will be out with a foot injury, which obviously provides a spot for Jake Cole Jashney to jump in. He was the injury sub last week, although he was more being rested than taken down for lack of performance. These teams will meet twice this year, just like they did last year. They'll be playing at Geelong round 16. Last year, the Cats won by 30 at home, despite kicking very poorly, 10-17. And they won by 20 at Blundstone Arena in Tasmania in round 20, another game where they kicked poorly. So between the two games last year, they kicked 18 goals and 31 behind, still won by 30 and 20 points respectively, but this is a better North Melbourne team than last year. I'm starting to think, though, as much as I've believed that this should be a Geelong team that kicks accurately, I'm starting to think it's really just they have a couple guys who should kick accurately, and past that, there aren't that many super safe bets, especially if Brian Myers isn't playing up towards goal. I really trust him on set shots, but it's not like I trust, say, Mark Blitzovs, Reese Stanley, Radagalea, really any of the guys outside of Hawkins and Cameron, except for Tyson Stengel. So looking for hopefully some good secondary scoring there because that's been an issue for the Cats in the past. If there's any matchup that should favor Grant Myers getting on the end of a couple goals, it's this one. He's had some very good games against North Melbourne in the past, so... Ethan, you have reason to be excited heading into this one. Assuming he's not taken out of the lineup, he did have a pretty lousy performance for the first three quarters of that Hawthorne game, but I think the way he played down the stretch will do enough, considering how highly Chris Scott seems to think of him. We should find that out in a couple days. Meanwhile, for North, all bets are off. They have been down, up, down these past few weeks. There have been some interesting changes that were made. Jack Zeeble was a resounding success two rounds ago at full forward. Couldn't say the same last round, though Nick Larkey made up for him. Have no idea if he's going to be back up there or not. Two matchups that really stand out to me. I want to see that hit-out battle unfold. Last week, the Cats dominated the hit-outs once Ned Reeves went down, yet didn't do well enough in the clearances in turn. This week, Stanley, Blitzovs, and anyone else tasked with rock duties will have... A pretty stiff test with the likes of Todd Goldstein and Tristan Jerry. And after winning the hitout so decisively and still even in clearances, a lot of eyes, including mine, will be on how the Cats play out of the center circle. As frustrating a loss as it was, I was pretty impressed also with Max Holmes, who I think had a really quality game, even though he had limited touches. I love the way he plays on the wing. I think it took him a little while to find his niche, but he's really started to do so. And on a much older team, he's one of the young guns that's definitely provided some hope for what's going to happen a few years down the road. The other big thing, please play Brad Close further back and let him do his thing where he kind of slingshots out because playing him up front didn't work. You need to be able to play through him. And if he's waiting for the ball up front, that's not going to happen. In terms of North Melbourne making good on their headouts and how that midfield battle is going to unfold, looking for more consistency out of Jaden Stevenson and looking for Jason Horton Francis to continue integrating himself further into the Kangaroos schemes. He has plenty of ability on his own, and we're starting to really see him fit the mold that David Noble is loosely putting around him. And this will be a good rep, and this will be a good checkpoint for him. Geelong favored by 28 and a half. I think it's going to be a little closer than that. Just with North Melbourne showing in the past their ability to bounce back from 
embarrassing losses, but hopefully the Cats come out angry and just take care of business. In the past couple of years, after a bad loss like the one they suffered last week, they usually come out pretty inspired. So hoping to see more of that this coming Sunday or, in my case, Saturday night. The middle game of the Sunday slate, Q-Clash 22, Gold Coast hosting Brisbane at Metricon Stadium. It'll still be Saturday night on the West Coast of the United States, 11.10 p.m. If you're tuning in from the Eastern Time Zone, 2.10 a.m. And if you're tuning in from anywhere along the East Coast of Australia, including within Queensland where the game is being played, that'll be at 4.10. As we already mentioned, this is the 22nd Q-Clash Brisbane with a 15-6 all-time lead. And they won the last six meetings in a row, dating back to their second battle in 2018. Suns enter this one with a record of 2-3, and three, Lions 4-1. and one. They met twice last year, obviously considering the streak. Brisbane won both. They won by 73 when they met at Metricon Stadium in round 9, and by 49 when they met at the Gabba in round 19. Because the Suns fan base is so small, it doesn't quite encapsulate the rivalry atmosphere, even though I'm sure the Lions fans will turn out in good numbers for this. But I'm thinking we should be in for a closer game here unless the Lions just steamroll the Suns and look in the same sort of top form we've seen out of them a few times. I'm expecting a pretty decent game, though. The injury list for Brisbane is down to one person, and that's Eric Hipwood, who's out for a few more weeks. Keaton Coleman should be available for selection, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Lions don't change a winning formula and give him some time in the VFL to build him back up. The Suns have a couple more question marks in the forms of Mavi Archul and Jack Lacocious, who are nursing adductor and knee injuries, respectively. Sounds like they're both likely to play, would both be big ends, and we'll see if Jeremy Sharp slots in. He made a strong case to play after a big performance in the VFL. Might see someone like Alex Davies get managed for this one to give Sharp another chance. I really like a lot of things I've seen from the Suns, and I'm hoping Stuart Dew allows Matt Rowell to play more freely than he did last round, because if so, we should be in for a hell of a contest. The biggest question is, of course, what can the Gold Coast defense do? And they played great against Carlton. I really liked Lockie Weller's performance. I thought Sam Collins had a good game. I thought Will Powell had a good game. Last week, other than an all right performance from Sean Lemons, there was not a lot there, even with Oleg Markov back in the fold. They're going to have to be better, especially when you're dealing with a guy like Joe Danaher and a guy like Daniel McStay, not to mention Charlie Cameron, who's kind of taken a back seat so far this year. And going through the middle, seeing how Lockie Neal and Zach Bailey are going to operate against the likes of Raul, Tuke Miller, and Noah Anderson should be really fun. I really think a lot's going to be happening at the center of the ground and from stoppages. Oscar McInerney versus Jared Witts is ought to be a really physical and really entertaining ruck battle. I think this is going to be a good test for Brisbane's defense as well. I don't think we've talked a ton about the Lions defense other than some positive reviews for Marcus Adams in the last couple of weeks. I think they're really going to get tested. We've hardly mentioned Brandon Starcevich this year. Kalamachi took an awesome mark last week, but hasn't been super prominent otherwise. I think this could be a really big game for Daniel Rich, who always seems to be in the middle of the action one way or another. And we'll see if Marcus Adams can keep up that run of really good play. Harris Andrews will be a central figure, as always. And I'm looking forward to see if he may take some one-on-ones against the likes of Chol or Levi Casbolt. Where they deploy him and where they deploy Adams should be a pretty compelling storyline to follow. When they played that third quarter against Geelong, going so well, Adams was racking up intercept marks left and right and kind of setting play back the other way. One other thing that I've noticed lately that's been a huge positive for the Lions is Cam Rayner starting to look more like his pre-ACL injury form. He's looking more like the player we saw when we first got into the sport in 2020. Lions under this one favored by 18 and a half. I think that's a pretty appropriate line. They'll also be meeting round 19 for the second straight year at the GABA. 
my hope is just that this game helps really turn this into a rivalry instead of two teams that happen to be in the same metro area. Because to me, this one's kind of like a Cleveland versus Cincinnati baseball game. You know, they happen to be in the same area, but it would be hard to call it a rivalry. I really hope this takes on more of a rivalry characteristic because we've seen how much fun it's been. Western Derby the last couple of years, we had an amazing Adelaide showdown. Sydney Derby's given us some great games. Q Clash, it's your turn. Hey, make me look good for saying that all the non-Victorian state rivalries deserve a Friday night time slot on their own. Sunday's action concludes with the traditional Anzac Eve game between Richmond and Melbourne at the MCG. Should be a very big crowd for this one. This will start at 2.25 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time on Sunday, the 24th, 5.25 a.m. Eastern. In Eastern Australia, it'll be a 7.25 p.m. bounce. I am going to be dead tired at this point, but I have a very long Saturday because it's going to be Cal Day, one of the busiest days of the year on the UC Berkeley campus, but I will be more than motivated to stay up for this one, largely to watch Melbourne, but also to see how Richmond might be able to corral themselves after a really undisciplined loss at the Adelaide Oval, or maybe they'll just continue to fall apart even further. They've got Hugo Ralph Smith out. He has a minor rib problem that may cost him next round along with this one. He's been a really energizing player out of the backfield. Dylan Grimes also remains out. So an opportunity for Jake Arts to maybe get into the 22 there. Meanwhile, for Melbourne, this ought to be the return of Ben Brown after he somehow escaped harsh punishment for an intentional elbow in the VFL a couple weeks ago. We talked all about that in our round four recap. Richmond enters this one at two and three. The Demons are five and oh. They met just once last year and meet just once again this year. That was, of course, also in the Anzac round. That was a game the Demons won by 34. For this one, they're favored by 25 and a half. But even with how dominant Melbourne's looked, this has all the makings of an opportunity for Damian Hardwick to pull a fast one on the Demons coach a gem and have the Tigers right there with a chance to win this game. You know, so far this year, alternating loss, win, loss, win, and coming off of each loss, they've played really well, absolutely bludgeoning GWS in round two, and then capitalizing on a poor kicking performance by the Bulldogs in round four, and then ultimately pulling away there in the second half. So from a tactical standpoint, what is Damian Hardwick going to do what state does he currently have these guys in? Well, I assume Victoria. <laughs> it was a difficult game for the Richmond defense and all last week in the loss to Adelaide. Nathan Broad had just 15 disposals and seven marks. Jaden Short with 18 and five. And we've come to expect such heavy possession numbers for them, but they really got blitzed in their back 50 and they're going to face a different challenge the way Melbourne's front is structured versus what the Crows offer, but a difficult one nonetheless, especially if Bailey Fritch gives anything like he did last week. So it's going to be on the Richmond defense because offensively, yes, it was mostly centered in that one window in the third quarter, but it's not like the Tigers had a bad offensive game by any stretch. I think a turning point defensively for Richmond was when Daniel Rioli ended up limping a tiny bit in the third quarter he ended up being able to run it off and continue playing, but that was when Josh Rochelle finally managed to get free. So can Rioli have a clean game in terms of health, avoiding any minor setbacks because he because he's such a good runner and a well-measured kick out of that halfback position. I've been able to start so many good passages for the Tigers, often feeding it to someone like Shea Bolton, who can run with the best of them. I'm honestly expecting between Shea Bolton and Kazi Pickett a goal that will stand as one of the nominees on Brownlow night. Is that too much to ask? I think that's fair. I'm also looking for a better game out of Matthew Parker, who was pretty quiet last week. I liked his performance earlier this season, even in the loss to St. Kilda. I think he's got a lot to offer and could help get the Tigers into the sort of form they need to be to have a chance here. Looking for Tom Lynch to have some good battles with Max Gaughan and Luke Jackson in the goal square and throughout the forward 50. His set shocking is notorious in its inconsistency, and he's going to need to be at his best, not only to kick well, but also to win those contests in the first place. 
also looking for greater accuracy from Jason Castagna and Jack Revolt. And I don't think that's too much to ask for Revolt, at the very least. Melbourne favored by 25 and a half. Seems like a pretty appropriate line. Nothing to object to one way or the other there. We move on to Anzac Day itself. Hawthorne hosting Sydney at Utah Stadium. This will be at 1230 in the afternoon on Monday, April 25th. For those of you in Tasmania, New South Wales, Victoria, etc., For those of us in the United States, it'll be one of the earlier games we'll get to see ever since Australian Daylight Saving Time ended. 7.30 p.m. Sunday night on the West Coast, 10.30 p.m. on the East Coast. This is a rivalry that has delivered so many good contests within the past decade, decade and a half. And I'm looking forward to another one of those this week, especially when both teams are coming in off pretty good victories. Very different in terms of margin, of course, but both solid nonetheless. Hawthorne are three and two after having gotten the better of Geelong on Easter Monday. Meanwhile, Sydney had absolutely no problem with the West Coast Eagles in Perth. So a lot of travel for the Swans these past couple weeks. These teams met once last year at the SCG in round 13, and Hawthorne shocked the Swans then, winning by winning by 38 points. That was a Friday night game. And it was one of the few bright spots for the Hawks in Alistair Clarkson's final season. I think matchup-wise, though, Hawthorne's counterattacking plays right into Sydney's hands. I think it's a chance for Patty McCartan to really reassert himself again. And I would be extremely surprised if the counterattacking led to any success the way the Swans set up their defense. When there's a will, there's a day, and Hawthorne should have Will Day back from concussion. Chad Wingard is a question mark, seems to be nearing a return from his calf injury. However, the Hawks will be without Ned Reeves, making their ruck situation even more tenuous. And that makes it perfect timing for Max Lynch to return after having a number of issues. He will be up to the task right away in the ruck against Peter Laddams. Hawthorne will also be without Mitch Lewis, who's got a hamstring complaint. And considering his hot start to the season, that's a pretty big loss. James Werpel came in as the injury sub last week and made a strong case for selection this week. For the Swans, John Longmire is not ruling out Buddy Franklin yet. If he's in, would probably be for Sam Reed. Josh Kennedy will be back in. He was the injury sub, but didn't end up being used last week. He likely comes in for James Bell, though maybe they choose to keep Bell in over Reed. Other than that, though, the health situation seems pretty stable for the Swans. With Bell's speed, I'm wondering if he might be the right kind of player to help counter what Hawthorne's got going at times from the back. Although I do think the Swans are already set up well with their fast and young midfield and the McCartan brothers patrolling the back line. I think the combination of that does situate the Swans very well for this game. And I think Buddy's probably doing everything he can to get back in time for this one, considering his past at Hawthorne and the intensity that this rivalry has brought and may bring again. Regardless of whether or not he's in, though, the Swans have a plethora of goal-kicking options. Was very pleased that Logan McDonald got his chance again after spending too long in the VFL, and his selection immediately paid dividends. Swans favored by 9.5, which, considering the way... These teams clash style-wise, I think is a little low, though Patty McCartan has been a bit quieter the last couple weeks. I still think this game plays right into his hands. The Hawks tend to play their best at Utah Stadium, although I'm wondering if the length of this ground may be a hindrance to their fast counterattacking style. Figuring out the extra distance may provide more space for those backline players to patrol and may just end up gassing out the fast Hawks guns a little sooner. Finally, we have the Anzac Day game to end the round on Sunday night in America, Monday mid-afternoon in Australia, Essendon hosting Collingwood at the MCG, and thank goodness there is no jumper clash for this one this year. The bounce time will be 10.20 p.m. Pacific time on Sunday the 24th, 1.20 a.m. Eastern on Monday the 25th and 3.20 p.m. on Monday in Victoria and Eastern Australia. 
Essendon comes into this one at just one and four with a defense that's been ripped to shreds both on the field and by the media, though Ben Rutten is at least saying he still thinks finals are a possibility. You know, that's something that you kind of have to say as a coach. I just think we're all taking that with a huge grain of salt. Collingwood, two and three, they've lost three in a row, but have given a couple of good teams tough games. No, last week's game against Brisbane was not as close as the seven-point margin indicated. They obviously led Geelong by 30, and were looking at going 3-0, and but then completely fell apart in the fourth quarter. Still, this is a much-improved Collingwood team from last year when they got swept by the Bombers. They lost before 78,000 on Anzac Day by 24, and then in an empty MCG to close out the season, they lost by 38. This isn't just a better Pies outfit when compared to last year. It ought to be a healthier Pies outfit compared to last week. Jack Ginevan should be back from his soreness. Brody Majacek likely out of protocols. And Bo McCreary has a chance to return from his hip injury. I really like how he started the season. Not sure if Ollie Henry will get a shot despite playing well in the VFL. Some of these ins are enabled for Collingwood because Jordan Roughhead is out after finger surgery. I also expect that Mason Cox will pay the price for a poor performance last week, and one where I really think he was misused by Craig McRae. I hope that even with these changes to the lineup, they're able to keep Reef McInnes in. I really enjoy how he's played so far. As for Essendon, Andrew Phillips will be out with a hamstring injury, so... Who replaces him? They got a few different possibilities, a forward like Kane Baldwin, a second ruck like Nick Bryan. That said, with how good Sam Draper's been, a second ruck is less necessary other than as an insurance plan. Though against Brody Grundy, I think maybe there's a more pressing need. Even though he did have a down game last round, I expect him to bounce back. As bad as Sam Draper looked in round one, he's been pretty darn good every other game. The problem for Essendon remains on the defensive side. While I think that Nick Hind and Mason Redmond can do a lot with starting a counterattack or even just playing up forward altogether, playing way further up the ground than a typical defenseman, this is a team that struggled mightily on defense, allowing an average of 108 points per game. That's just not going to cut it. This could be the sort of game where Jordan Degoe ends up with five, six goals if Essendon's defense continues on this trajectory. The question for Essendon is, can they make up for their defensive woes? While the question for Collingwood, like their chief rival Carlton, is can they string together four consecutive solid quarters? Since their round two win against Adelaide, Collingwood have really had trouble playing complete games. Yes, their last round against Brisbane was better, But the second quarter really got away from them. And between us being Cats and Eagles fans, we have plenty of understanding of how Collingwood can let games get away from them in the fourth quarter. Having said that, they're favored by 14 and a half here against the Bombers. These teams will also meet in round 19. That'll also be at the MCG, albeit without quite as much fanfare as the traditional Anzac Day battle. All right, that's just about going to do it for us. By the way... We did mention the Bovada line for that Fremantle game. That was the only one that was off by more than a point from what we had from GoBet as Bovada was undergoing maintenance at the start of this recording. Although we'll see if that GoBet line ends up reflecting the changes that we noted from Fremantle that dropped while this was being recorded. I think there is potential for the line to flip to Carlson after that. I'm also wondering if the COVID outbreak that's happening in Fremantle in both their AFL and Peel Thunder waffle unit might spur some odds makers to take this game off entirely. I believe we saw that when the Eagles were in the throes of their COVID struggle before their round two game. And just checked, they have updated the line on GoBet. That now sits at two and a half, so... Maybe Bovada was just ahead of the game with the injury news there or COVID news, whatever have you, health and safety, whatever you want to call it. One way or another, they're out and more might join them. That's all we've got. Hopefully this round is full of surprises and great crowds and some good drama. I'm looking forward to getting back on the air after the Anzac Day matchup. 
And just like last week, we're probably going to be recording within about an hour of the last game ending. So, so those reactions will be very fresh. Also really looking forward to seeing some games at different venues between Ballarat, Canberra, and the two games in Tasmania. There's potential for those different dimensions to have an impact, especially in terms of the sheer size in Launceston, which, as I said earlier, may actually turn against the Hawks for the first time in recent memory. Between now and then, you can follow all of our thoughts at Americans Footy on Twitter. You may also see some additional content from me at BenjaminHK01. You may also find me at Castle Media, K-A-S-S-E-L-M-E-D-I-A. And you can find Brian at CatNameBrian on Instagram. Since it's the Anzac round, we aren't super familiar with some of the Australian traditions here, but I do know that you're supposed to say, lest we forget. So as we sign off, let's say together, lest we forget. <laughs>